Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Stephanie and Katie. I have found that one of the most effective ways to teach about labyrinths is to begin by clarifying what labyrinths are not. And labyrinths are not mazes, despite what the David Bowie film may have taught you, because it definitely taught me in my years. Yeah, it blurred those lines. (laughs) And I thought that a labyrinth was just another name for maze, Mm -hmm. but they are distinctly different. Um, So Katie, I'm going to talk to you today as if you were new to labyrinths, and I know that you're not. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Give it to me. I actually know you could present on labyrinths yourself. Mm. So Katie, what do you know about mazes? Uh, Let me start by saying, what is the point of a maze? The point of a maze? I'm not sure the point of a maze is to try and kind of confuse you. It's hard to get through because there's lots of pitfalls. There's spots you can't go. There's Mm -hmm. dead ends. So it's kind of like a trial and error. And I know there's like different strategies to get through them quicker. Mm-hmm. Like you can follow the one wall and eventually you will get there. Okay. Um, but What's the whole point of it? What are you trying to get to? The end. And what is the end usually, um, like where does it take you? Like out of the maze. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm really getting you to pinpoint that because it is um, quite distinctly different from most forms of labyrinth. Okay. But you hit some really good points there. Um, You said it was to confuse you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of trial and error. Uh, The destination is typically, I mean, the whole point is to just get out of it, right? Yes. Some might say that they're meant to be fun. I think it would just depend on the setting and how hard it was, maybe. Like a you corn, can learn like some a corn stuff maze. about yourself, right? Like yeah, if yeah. you get frustrated easily, then it, you're going to hate it a lot more than someone who's just like, well, here's another dead end. Yeah. I think it will reveal a lot about your personality and your character for sure. Yeah. In my life, Katie, and I'm wondering if, it, if you feel this way or if anyone listening resonates with this, I felt that I was taught that life was a maze. Because whenever I was faced with a choice or a crossroads in my life, I was given a a really specific language in how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. And it often came in the form of two polar extremes. There's a good choice and there's a bad choice. There's a right, there's a wrong, there's a black, there's a white. Mm -hmm. In a maze, we typically say right or left but we know that one of those is the right way to go mm-hmm. and the wrong way will get you stuck. <laughs> the wrong yes. way is going to lead to some kind of a dead end and you're going to have to backtrack. Mm-hmm. So for much of my life, I lived as if I were in a maze. And what's really interesting here is that birth can very often feel like a maze if that's the paradigm that you have been taught to operate with. When I work with clients... And if I'm working with somebody who had, say, a traumatic birth experience, and now they're expecting again, and they're trying to basically wrap their head around this birth that they're about to experience, and like, how do they get in the right headspace? How do they let go of what happened so that they can move forward with what's about to happen? And this is one of the most effective processing tools that I have been able to use with my clients. And 
I listen really carefully to their language. And mm-hmm. if they say to me different key words or key phrases like, if only I had made that other choice, if only we had done this instead of that, then everything would have been different. And all of that trauma that came after would have been avoided. Well, immediately that tells me, I think that they are playing by the rules of, of a maze game. Mm. And I know that because I have often played by those rules, right? It's taken cognitive like effort to not live my life by those rules. But I definitely understand and, and hear that language in them. So then we can say, all right, let's back up a little bit. And, and I'll teach them what I just did with you. And I'll say, tell me what a maze is. <laughs> like the little, you know, craft books that you used to do as a kid with the mazes. Tell me what you know about mazes. And they would share all the same things that you just did. Then I pull out a labyrinth and I say, have you ever seen a labyrinth before? And most are familiar. Most have at least seen one, but almost all of them say, wow, I didn't even know there was like a difference between labyrinths and mazes. And so then it's a really fun opportunity to be like, okay, let's look at at the differences. So a labyrinth Katie, what what do you know about labyrinths off the top of your head? Labyrinths, they often are really winding and they're more circular than square. Like a maze is usually square and a labyrinth is usually more rounded. And a labyrinth has one path to go on. There's, mm. there's one path from beginning to end. There are no pitfalls. There are no um, dead ends. It's just this one path to walk that's usually pretty winding. Yeah, absolutely. Is there the same kind of decision-making happening with labyrinths? No, because there's not lefts or rights. There's just the way forward. Right. And what would you say is the goal or the destination of a labyrinth? Well, to get to the other side. But Mm -hmm. it's more like to go through it. Yeah. And and by the other side, a lot of the time, not always, because there are really distinct differences in different cultures that, mm-hmm. that you could study. But a lot of times getting to the other side is really getting to the center. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Whereas with mazes, occasionally you'll see that, that maybe the maze takes you to the center, but most of the time it's like, how do you get out of this thing? Yeah. <laughs> so inherently just in that, you see a very distinct difference of trying to get out versus trying to get down into the very heart of it. Mm-hmm. So this is really fascinating, some of the things that you pointed out, and let's just kind of review those. One, you said that there's only one path. That's that's distinctly different than a maze where you are constantly having to navigate, which way do, do I go now? Which way do I go now? Over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this can often lead to what I would say is either anxiety or depression, because inevitably you are going to take a wrong turn somewhere along the way. And when you do, like my clients, as I'm sitting in a session with them, they, you will be tempted to analyze and critique your decision-making that led you to the dead end. Mm-hmm. And so you become the bad guy in your own life. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm the cause of my own suffering. I'm mm-hmm. the one that made this choice that got us stuck here. Mm-hmm. And, and there's backtracking, right? And backtracking is always frustrating. Because you're at this dead end, and then you have this whole mental talk, like, uh, another wrong turn. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. I have to go back now. Mm-hmm. And when you go back, you also have to remember 
to not take the opposite way towards the front because that can easily happen again if you don't remember whether you took a left oh or a right to get in. I had not even thought about that. <laughs> you really could just be going endlessly yeah. making the same bad choices. Yes. <laughs> oh, that sounds so stressful, which is how my life actually felt. Well, it's quite different when you think about walking a labyrinth where that decision-making is removed from you. But I will argue that there is still decision-making happening, Mm -hmm. but it's quite different. Instead of, is this right or wrong? It's more like, am I willing to keep going? Mm -hmm. Will I just put one foot in front of the other? Do I have what it takes to just show up today and just walk and just move forward? So that's a very, very different conversation to have internally with yourself than the self-criticism and and putting yourself as like the villain of the story. Or you could blame the maze, right? True. I don't think women do that as much as men do. That's more of a, I have this thing I told, my little brother's getting married. He's 20 and it's cute and they're really innocent and (laughs) I worry for their souls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we were playing um, pickleball the other day. And I remember my brother hit a ball. It didn't go where he wanted it to. And he stares down at the racket and goes, stupid racket. Hmm. And I look over at his fiance and I said, that's very typical masculine to say. And a lot of men will do that is to blame the court, the ball, the um, some paddle. Kind of, some kind of equipment malfunction. Else. There's always something else that's wrong and it could not be you. <laughs> Um, but women are the opposite. Women are like, oh, I'm just not good at this, mm. man. Like it's all a frustration that goes way more inward. Wow. And so I think that like, I just imagine a man in the maze was just like, this is the stupidest maze. This maze is dumb. There is, you know what I mean? Like spends the whole time mad about the maze yeah. where a woman will spend the whole time saying, "Ugh, I should have known. I thought it was going to be that way. I didn't follow this my intuition. This is all my fault. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Cause both of those are pretty extreme. Yeah. You know, we're. We're not actually seeing things for what they are, but just turning to, mm-hmm. to blame something. Instead of taking the middle where it's like, this is a maze and this happens. Yeah. This is a maze and I am, it's very unlikely that I'm going to go through it without right. hitting a dead end. Right. Which is also a healthier way to view life, right? Is to say, and like, I think that's kind of the middle ground between a maze and a labyrinth is you feel like you're graduating the maze when you're able to say, okay, like I did not take the right choice and now I have learned what a wrong choice is. <laughs> I like and that. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to try and move forward. Yeah. Because I think, I like that you're saying, hey, if you've been living your life like a maze and you're trying to move into more of a labyrinth way of living, how do you get there? Is that mm-hmm. kind of what you were saying? Yes. Yeah. I like that a lot. And that's really what I'm trying to help my clients do is they prepare for their birth and say, if, you know, part of where your trauma is coming from is that these are the rules of the game that were given to you and they're faulty. And let's create better rules. Like, let's give you a better structure and a better paradigm. And that's going to set you up for success. And they love that. They're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I can just change my whole mindset. And that's where a lot of the trauma um, roots down into. Um, So along those same conversations of, like, do I have what it takes to show up? And can I keep going? What's really fascinating about labyrinths is, is that it's, when I say that there's one path, What that doesn't mean is that it's all going to be great. Mm -hmm. It's all going to be happy. It's all going to be smooth. It's all going to be beautiful. It's all going to be perfect. Is that what I mean by one path? No. Hardly. (laughs) No, it's, 
it's different from a maze because it's not that one path is all right and one path is all wrong, but in a labyrinth, it's really all mixed together on that path of prickly and soft, of light and dark, of happy and sad, and and it's all the path, and we don't even give it an adjective. It's not good or bad. It's just the path, and I'll tell you how much that changed the way that I lived, because whenever I was coming to what I felt was like a, a choice point, where in my previous paradigm, I would have said, oh, which way do I go? Is this a right way or a wrong way? In the new paradigm, it was more like, you know what, this isn't about right or wrong, but this is about what feels the most ripe, like R-I-P-E, like a fruit on the vine. And I'm standing in front of this orchard and I can see that some of these, like let's say apricots, are just like so ripe. They are literally falling off of the tree into my hand. Whereas some of the other um, apricots are still kind of green. And if I were to pull it off the vine, not only would I have to completely yank it off the tree, but when I ate it, it would not taste particularly good. But the truth is I could. Like that is a choice that I have at all times, that all of these options are available to me, but what's like the most apparently ripe. (laughs) And that's the one that I want to go for. And when I do that, it's not about, um, again, did I make the right choice? But it's more like, this is the choice that I made. So be it. Mm. And then from that act of will and that choice that I made in, in, the best of my knowledge, like the best of my ability, that's the choice that I made using my discernment. The path like shows up before me instantly, moment to moment to moment. And it's just like constantly unfolding as I use my agency and my will to act. And in the birth context, this is an incredibly empowering place to position yourself because there will be seemingly many decisions to make along the way. Um, You're in the hospital and the nurse comes in and she's suggesting that maybe breaking your waters would speed things up. Mm -hmm. Classic. Classic, right? So you're taking a moment, you're talking to your partner, you're talking to your doula, and you're thinking, okay, this is a big deal. Like, whatever we decide will have consequences. Instead, again, of thinking of, uh, thinking of it as, is this the right thing to do or would it be the wrong thing to do? That's an opportunity for you to check in with all the different parts of you that help you know. <laughs> uh, in fact, we were just talking about that, Katie, how there's different kinds of knowing, right? Yes. And so it's awesome to check in with your brain. It's like, what, what are the facts of this? What are the statistics? What's the actual like evidence-based information? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful place to start. Uh, where would you go from there, though? I think next would be kind of a practical assessment of yourself and where you're currently at. Mm. Like to say, how am I doing energy-wise? How am yeah. I feeling emotionally? Is there something I need to work through? Just having like an honest moment with yourself. Where am I at in this birth? Is, do I need to realign something? Because sometimes, right, there's there's not a right or a wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, Like I do see things that are often pushed and then accepted because they've been pushed. But I think if you get down to your intuition that I'm not one to say whether one's right or one's wrong. Um, And if you have that personal like assessment to say, okay, I've been at the, for example, if it's been a while, 
to say, I am running low on energy. So the potential of speeding things up, which it sometimes does mm-hmm. when you break waters, yeah, um, might be an option that starts to feel better as you also go to that side of the information. Yeah. And then I think from there, I would probably move into kind of finding some peace for some intuition, like just to sit with, mm-hmm. okay, those are the facts. This is the pros and cons, but how do I feel? Yeah. And you'll never get in touch with that part of you unless you do have that peace. That's why it's so important in the hospital to say, and I always tell this to my clients um, when we're talking about navigating the hospital situation, especially for unmedicated births, that one of the most powerful things you can do is have them explain to you pros and cons and then say, oh, wonderful, can you please give me 10 minutes to think mm-hmm. about that and come back and I'll let you know what I've decided. You've got to carve out privacy in that decision-making mm-hmm. process. And like, who can make decisions with the authority figure right in front of them or breathing down their neck. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to separate. Yes, love that especially advice. when you're a people pleaser. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's one of my questions prenatally. Do you consider it, like, are you, please be honest, are you a people pleaser? Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, great, good well, to know that. Well, some people are just like, nope. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, but just having that space away from, because a lot of times the, in hospital culture, the way things are phrased is often not really a question. Mm-hmm. Like someone will come in and they will say, well, I think it's been quite a while. It's time to break your waters now. They announce it. They kind of announce, mm-hmm. um, especially providers. Nurses are usually a little more, um, what do you think about? But it really depends on the provider and the nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very difficult in that situation to not just say, oh, okay. Like, you're this yeah. authority figure, and I want to believe you, and you're, I'm paying you to do this, and mm-hmm. you've been who, to med who school, am I and to who disagree? am I to disagree yeah. with your thing you're telling me mm-hmm. in this command form? Um, And that can be very hard for a lot of people to navigate, especially when you're laboring and you're trying to be in your body and not in your decision brain. Mm. Because you're supposed to be sinking in, right? You're supposed to be finding your flow and your rhythm and and trust and calm and surrender. And to have someone enter your space and kind of push something, that's always going to cause a disruption in your flow because something's pushing your flow, right? Yeah. So that's where it's helpful for partners especially to know that this is a situation where you can create space yeah. for your partner yeah. by saying, okay, that's a good suggestion. Would you mind explaining to me why that's your preference right now? Mm-hmm. And then have them explain why they want to do that. Oh, it'll probably speed things up and da 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 do we want that? You say, okay, that sounds nice, but why don't you tell me some of the risks? Mm-hmm. Right? You get to like the BRAIN acronym, benefits, yeah. risks, alternatives, intuition and nothing yeah where you can say okay explain to me some of the risks and once they've explained those and say okay what if we don't do anything what if we don't can we not do this mm-hmm. um and then to say hey can you give us 10 minutes and so when you come back we'll let you know what we've decided and I then it does a complete that. power turn where right. they go out and they're waiting for your answer yeah and you've put yourself in the you've taken the power from them the autonomy and the authority yes yeah. and you put it back in your hands to say i'll let you know what i've decided after it. 10 minutes and then they can leave and you go kind of steal yourself for 10 minutes <laughs> i'm gonna say no when they come back like when yep. they come back i'm looking them in the face and saying no thank you i'm mm-hmm. gonna do it and sometimes i'll pump my clients up like you mm-hmm. can do this when they come back you're going to stand up for yourself what you feel is right once they've come to their decision, right? If they decide and, to kind of go against that advice. And to all the people pleasers out there who struggle to say no, a really good workaround is to say, we decided we want to wait another hour. Yes. And then we'll revisit that conversation. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic tool because you're just like constantly pushing the boundary further and further and, and it works. And yeah. I think they like that you're still open to the possibilities. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a hard no for it, them. Exactly. Yeah. The nurses can write because nurses can get in trouble if they 
they mm-hmm. don't offer things or if things don't they're happen. Just doing their so at job least they can write in their charts to say pushed suggested off or offered. Su- I, su- mm-hmm. I offered it and they said to wait yeah. a certain amount of time. Yeah, that can yeah. be really powerful. And I think that especially if you are a people pleaser and you have a partner who's anywhere in corporate America, using the term like we'll circle back in an hour should be something they're very comfortable with. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I that's like something that. that can be really great for as a job to kind of give to your partner to say, I'm busy, I'm laboring. When they come back, you tell them we're going to circle around in an hour. Yeah. Use your best business meeting voice. <laughs> yeah. And you let them know, hey, we talked it through. Thank you so much for bringing up that option for us, but we're not going to put it off for now. I think why don't we circle back in an hour or two if nothing's changed. I love it. And then, and here's the whole gist of this, Katie, is, is once you go through that process, are you guaranteed to have the most perfect outcome? No, of course not. Uh, what does perfect hard? mean? I know. It's this kind of illusion that I think that we've created that is like, okay, if I use that brain acronym and if I do all the hard work factually and all the hard work intuitively and I come to what I feel like is the ripe decision then I'm guaranteed my unmedicated birth, my unmedica- unmedicated birth or, or that, my healing birth. Or yeah. My, anything, any yeah. expectation that you've set for it. But that's where the mindset work comes into play here because I, I help my clients see that this is not some kind of guarantee. This is not some, some tool or method or process that's going to ensure that you get what you want. But what it is doing for you is teaching you how to respond to whatever it is that is going to happen. <laughs> and, and if you go through that process and you simply make a choice based upon what you know and feel in the moment, you have done all you can do, period, like yes. full stop. Therefore, in my opinion, there is no space to go back and critique the the version of you who didn't have the information that you have now. <laughs> but that's what we do as humans. We're yeah. like, she should have known that if she had her waters broken, it would lead to this, this, and this, you know. Yeah. But the truth is, you did not have that information. Yeah. And that's a very labyrinthine way of living, is just saying this wasn't this was never a right or wrong decision-making process. This was simply Based upon what I know right now, this is what feels the best. And so I am moving forward. And really in a labyrinth, there's no such thing as moving backward. (laughs) So even after you make the choice and let's say this client that we've created has chosen to have their waters broken. And then from that, uh, her baby goes into distress. And from there, it turns into an emergency C-section. Now, she is going to be very tempted to go back and look at that pivotal moment and say, I made the wrong choice. Yeah. Right? Yep. And that is going to weigh on her and that is going to bring a lot of heartache into her life. Um, But I always invite my clients to say, what information did you have in the moment that you were making that choice? You know, could you have foreseen the way that it was going to go? No, no. Like if the doctors had known, they would never have suggested it. No, absolutely not. And we've but seen waters be broken to great success, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's a quite unpredictable thing that birth is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just choosing to shift your whole perspective. And instead of betraying yourself every time you make a choice and it doesn't play out the way you thought it might, instead of going back and 
kind of turncoating and saying, oh, I'm so angry at that version of me that made that choice. Um, instead, you honor her and you say, you know what? She did the very best that she could in that moment. And also, I think it's powerful to learn from those choices. I don't mean to say that there's never lessons to be learned from that. In a future birth experience, she might she might think twice about having her waters broken when she's only two centimeters dilated. You know, mm. she might think, you know what? I think I would have preferred, I or at least this time around, I think I prefer to be a little more hands off and err on that side this time. Yeah, that's powerful because then you're still using the decisions that you made as an opportunity for conversation and growth, but not for self criticism to this point to the point of creating trauma in your life that can be an extra big challenge though if you do come up against it and maybe this time it does feel right again yeah to say to yourself like those are the and it doesn't always happen but I've definitely seen births that have gone the first one was very traumatic and the second seems to be following course and you can tell some clients to just feel so much resistance because you can't help but to feel sucked in as if things are barreling in the same direction as your trauma did last time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing that really can be helpful, like you said, is just to slow down and say, hey, yeah, things are going very similarly this time, but it's still not the same. You're no. still not the same. No. You're a different person. You've learned. You've it's grown. a different baby. It's a different baby. This is a different birth story that's being written. Yeah, and it may feel parallel right now. But maybe that parallel is an invitation for you to take a deep breath and just allow things to be and not submit to that fear and not submit to that and to say, okay, this is hard and I am feeling really big feelings, but it doesn't have to be the same and I don't have to allow myself to, to move into despair because that's a hard mm-hmm. place to sit, despair. Absolutely. One other thing I want to point out, because I could probably talk about labyrinths for a couple of hours, <laughs> a couple of days, yeah. but let's just talk about one other really fascinating point and then, and we can wrap it up. Okay. When you're, when you're walking a labyrinth, and I should say that some labyrinths are, are absolutely big enough to walk. And I, I know some people think, well, do they have walls like a maze? But no, they're, they're just flat on the earth and usually, you know, demarcated with, rocks or um, stones or um, sometimes just grass. Like I've seen labyrinths literally mowed into tall grasses. Like there's lots of beautiful earthy organic ways of making them. So if you ever get the chance to walk a labyrinth, absolutely take, take that opportunity. It's meant to be very meditative and very symbolic. One little tangent is that in, in the Christian tradition, because you'll see labyrinths in pagan traditions, in Native American traditions, in Greek mythology, but in the Christian tradition, you will find them on the floors of cathedrals all throughout Europe. One of the, the most original, most ancient that we have still in existence is in France, in Chartres, France, in a beautiful cathedral. I got to visit it when I was a teenager. And they used these labyrinths to represent basically your journey to the Holy Land. For those that did not have the means, the livelihood, or even the health to make the actual journey to go visit the Holy Land, this was a way that they could symbolically make that journey in 
like their own little cathedral without having to go anywhere. So it's meant to represent like the journey of life, or if you get a chance to walk it, it can just represent like a journey that you are trying to make a decision about. And it's like, how do I make this journey? Right. So one thing you'll notice when you embark on that experience is that the labyrinth is anything but linear. And we live in a society that's very point A to point B. And how do I get there the fastest? And that's typically a straight line. And we just want to like create the to-do list, attack it, and and then we achieve our goal. Mm. Labyrinths are designed to be quite the opposite. And it's going to play with your brain and it's going to play with your idea of progress. Because as you enter a labyrinth, sometimes you'll see, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm only one circuit away from the center. All I would have to do is step over this one little line of rocks and I'm there. Yep. But that's not the point. Like the point of the labyrinth is not to just get there. It's about the journey. Like the journey is what matters. And many labyrinths, when you're near the end, you're going to pass where you entered. Oh my gosh. We didn't even get to talk about the way out of the labyrinth, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. That's so, so profound too, but recognize that labyrinths are a beautiful meditative tool. Uh, You can use them as a, they can be meditation in in creating them yourself. If you're interested in making your own, you can definitely check out Pam England's book, The Labyrinth of Birth. Um, and she also goes into it in ancient map for modern birth as I think well. I think she touches and it. Probably birthing from within. Written. Yeah. <laughs> so go look up. She Pam loves England. labyrinths too. Yeah. She's basically the pioneer that brought labyrinth, uh, metaphor into, I think the childbirth community. Yeah. But they are also meant to be very meditative in, the, in either walking them or finger tracing them and can be a really, um, huge mindset shift as you step in to your upcoming birth. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.